us through the resolve of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of you may remember, recall, he told us how privately these four guys decided we will not defile ourselves with the king's food and from the, eating from the king's table. That's the nyama and the other kind of nice things. And he said, we only want vegetables. And not so that because vegetables are a higher dish than meat or because vegetables in and of themselves have uh, any greater value. Uh, doctors might agree, um, disagree, but uh, me and Bishop here love nyama, so uh, <clears throat> we, take, we take our stand. But because they had decided that they will not sort of depend on the king of Babylon for their provision in so speaking. That they would look to God to sustain them, to give them good health, to put them at par with their peers, perhaps way above their peers as we later saw. And publicly, on the day they were tested, when they were told to bow to the graven image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected, or for Daniel, uh, that Darius had erected, they stood their ground. And they said, even if the Lord does not save us, we will still not bow. Ah, and you look at these guys and you wonder, oh my goodness, even at the risk of death, they are still standing for their faith. Uh, as I was, and perhaps many of us here, as we sat in admiration, of these four guys. Maybe the question in our mind was, can I ever be a Daniel? Like, really, can I ever be a Daniel? At our real group, with hushed tones, when we were going through the study, many of us confessed that when the right amount of pressure is applied, we are not Daniels. We quickly and so easily cave in on the pressure of the world. We are not the ones who swim upstream. We simply fold back and accept the way and the demands of the world today. And some of us recalling from where Bishop was taking us through in the family series, we even perhaps felt targeted as he went through the sermons of being the broken image bearers, of being the wrongdoers, the unkind people to our spouses, the selfish, the self-preserving, the self-loving, proud, and unforgiving people that he was mentioning every single week. We saw that we have hurt our spouses. We have ruined our families. We have failed in our marriages and damaged the relationships around us. To our realization, we are guilty. We are guilty of laziness. We are not the perfect as heirs for the ladies. And we are sinful. We make godless choices. And our question remains, are we acceptable to God? You who is not Daniel, you who knows you are not Daniel, are you still acceptable to God? 
If this is you, uh, you are in good company. Not from your neighbor, even though I suspect that they are your good company also, but from one of Jesus' disciples who I want us to consider in a moment. And I have chosen this disciple because he is the one that we know a good amount about. I wouldn't be surprised that all the other disciples perhaps also take after him. Let's turn together to John chapter 21, verse 21, uh, verse 15 and 17. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than this? Let me just give a background before I continue. He's saying more than this, talking about the fish that Simon, son of John, has just caught from the Sea of Galilee and not caught on his own power or his own skill, they had been fishing all night and caught nothing until as they came towards shore, Jesus told them, throw the nets on the other side. And they got a full drag of, ship, uh, of fish. So now they come to the shore and Jesus asked Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than this? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him at that time, do you love me? So he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. This conversation does not go as I had expected. This conversation does not go as I had hoped. It seems a little light considered the circumstances surrounding their talk here. Paul is, uh, Peter is just from fishing. A few minutes ago. And why this is important to note is because at the point of Jesus' death, at the point of Jesus' burial, Peter knew that he perhaps is the leader, the oldest among the disciples who is supposed to hold true to their calling despite their leader being so crucified and destroyed by evil men. But what does Peter do? Peter is not the guy who stood against these guys and said, okay, our leader might be dead, but let's huddle up together. Uh, guys, we need a new strategy, man. Uh, things are bad, but I, I know we can do this. Oh, the guy tells guys, okay, guys, <laughs> um, you know, uh, just remembered my nets and my fishing boat. They're still tucked up somewhere. I think, I, uh, yeah, it's been real. Um, 
It was nice knowing you guys. Uh, we'll see each other around uh, Galilee when you guys visit. Peace. And immediately, Peter has gone back to his fishing. I sort of expected there would have been a little more aggressiveness in Jesus' uh, voice. This time round, when he went fishing, he carried James, he carried John, he carried Nathaniel, he even carried Thomas. He led them away from Christ into back to fishing. Peter, really? No, I expected a tongue lashing, perhaps, from Jesus. Possibly garnished with some sarcasm. Guys who appreciate sarcasm here might know what I'm talking about. Mothers, eh? So, meshika samakiwa ngapi? Eh? Usiku mzima, meshika ngapi? Kazi niluwapea, nikuisha iliisha ama. Is it that you have uh, fished all the men, now that I made you fishers of men? Eh? Meamu aje. You know? Are you in or not? Are you with me or not? Uh, what, what, what have you decided? But there's no such grilling. There's no guilt tripping. There's no manipulative comments. There's no sarcasm. No underhanded com- comments from Jesus. He just goes, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Wow, Jesus. You know, some of you might be wondering why I'm making a big case. Why Simon needs a tongue lashing, perhaps. And the big deal here is because of what he tells him immediately after this. He asks him a question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then he tells him, feed my sheep. This is where you and I come in, guys. When he's saying, feed my sheep, Jesus is practically handing us over to Peter for our discipleship. Jesus is taking his ministry, his earthly ministry, Jesus is taking his church, his disciples of all time, and he's giving them to Peter. And he's saying, feed my sheep. Oh, Jesus, my sheep. I am part of that sheep. I don't know whether I am safe with Peter. I don't know whether this guy, but I will just cave in the next time there's a bit of pressure. I don't know. I don't know whether I want to be under Peter. I appreciate your confidence and all, but Peter, Peter. This is the most important mission of all time. The ministry of Christ. The fate of the world is at stake here. Guys, salvation of the world hangs in the balance. This is the game changer. The gospel message. The rescue of humanity from their sins. From oppression, from sin, from the devil. This is what Jesus is giving to Peter. It's like being entrusted with a combination to the atomic bomb. For those who are enthusiasts about the World War II, 
uh, whole scenario. It's like the, the guy who is given to carry the Enigma code, uh, to, to decrypt the Nazis' uh, Enigma. This, this important stuff. You know, this is a secret weapon to end all of humanity's problems, to solve all the brokenness that we see around, to deal with the evil. This is the only hope we have. The Bible says you are without God and without hope. This is the one thing that is the hope of the world. You know, in football, when the game goes to penalties, and you guys know, you know, <laughs> or, or maybe at the 89th minute, uh, a penalty is given out. That's not the time to start telling your weak players and encourage them and tell them, you know, you can do this. You can do. No, 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 no. That's, that's not the time to find the guys who struggle to, to bring them forth and tell them, you can, you can do this. That's the time to get your big guns. As in, this is, this is 89th minute. Dude, uh, who is the best player of the team? Like, who do we know will not sell out this penalty? I remember uh, England versus France uh, quarterfinals, uh, World Cup 2022. And, and, and that exactly thing happens. At the, at the last minute, England is given a penalty. Of course, who do they call? The guy who had taken the earlier penalty, you all know him. And Harry Kane steps forward. And you saw in the shootouts, many other guys, Mbappe, Messi, but of course, it has to be Messi who takes a penalty for Argentina. This time, Harry Kane, you call the big guns. Okay, never mind that that didn't go as we had hoped. But uh, Peter is not that guy. At least I wouldn't stake on Peter, given the just few, few minutes, a few weeks ago, what he had done. So three times, let's, let's just read Luke chapter 22. You just understand why I'm, I'm saying Peter is not the guy to give this penalty. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, Caiaphas. Peter followed at a distance, but when he had, uh, they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them, aren't you? No, I am not. Peter replied, about a an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, 
the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. <laughs> and Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows that today, he will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I'm sort of sure even if there was a fourth opportunity to deny Jesus, Peter would have taken it. Openly and loudly, within eyes distance of the man he had claimed to be his Lord, his Messiah, his Savior, he denies him. Within eye distance. So that when the Lord turns like this, he can see him. Matthew actually says that he started calling curses on himself. Like he went to that extent to call curses of himself. The guys are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It wasn't that serious, but you don't have to. You see, Peter was used to speaking big. He's a, he's a guy who speaks big. He's assertive. He's confident of himself and of his abilities. When you stand with Peter, he's a guy who you will think, ah, Dude, like, like this guy knows what he's talking about. He's sure of himself. Just before this at Gethsemane, Jesus had told the disciples that they would forsake him. Because, again, referring to strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But Peter replied, Jesus, uh-uh. even if all fall away, I never will. Even if I have to die, verse 35 says, I will never disown you. Luke tells us, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. John will say, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Do, do you hear the different permutations of the things that Peter says? You listen to him and you are thinking, yeah, we have a sure guy here. And the, the, the rest of us might not be so sure, but this guy knows what he's talking about. At first, you'd even be forgiven to believe Peter's resolve because he pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him and tells him, your negative energy, that negative energy you are bringing among these guys. Stop, stop, banana. We can never leave you. Stop these negative vibes. You are killing the people's morale. And when in Gethsemane, the soldiers come, Peter is fast to draw his sword. And he strikes the servant of uh, the temple guard, the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. I'm sure he was not going for the ear. Uh, like, who, who cuts off an ear? <laughs> well, unless you want to just scare somebody. But the guy was going for the neck, but just had a, a little got the ear. This guy is, you, you could mistake him to have the Daniel muscle, the resolve of Daniel. But don't be deceived. When the rubber meets the road, Peter is not Daniel. He caves in as fast as he can speak. Servant girl comes and asks him, thought I saw you with a guy. Like what harm can come from a servant girl? Ah, I don't know him. In fact, Matthew tells us that even the second person who inquired from Peter 
was still a servant girl. Another servant girl. Come and say, see, I don't really want Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I am not the man that you say I am. And when Jesus is dead and buried, he goes back to his fishing profession. If I am to be honest, I think I understand Peter pretty well. I think I am much like Peter myself. I don't think I am Daniel. At least, at least not yet. You see, the loss of colleague approval, for instance, is sometimes more important for you and I than the, than the cost of submitting fake receipts of a per diem you did not spend. And you all knew that you did not spend that per diem. See, the inconvenience of going to traffic court and wasting a whole day is, is perhaps a bit too much compared to 500 shillings on the highway to a traffic police. You see, for us, the opportunities lost by delayed passports to resist the urge to click on that adult content that we know we shouldn't be consuming when it pops up on our screen. We don't have the ability to walk away from that ex-boyfriend who calls you up and asks you to come over. And you know very well that this will not end with the glory of God. We hardly are able to walk away when the bottle pops and the wine is served. Yes, you Peter, Jesus asks, you denying, you fearful, you disowning, you deserting, you unfaithful, you untrustworthy, broken, weak, you Peter, I'm asking, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Take care of my sheep. You know, at times we forget who is on the other side of this conversation. Who's taking risks with Peter? Who's taking risks with us? Who is this guy who is bargaining with us? Who is this guy who is so sure about us? Jesus. You see, after his that denial, Jesus looks straight at Peter before he goes to weep bitterly. 
he looks straight at Peter. And I don't think Peter weeps bitterly, necessarily because of the shame or because of the guilt or the embarrassment that comes with him denying his savior. But I, I sort of suspect it has something to do with those eyes. Those eyes of Christ, now perhaps bruised and swollen and bloodshot because of all the hitings that he's getting from these guys as they interrogate him. But I think it has to do with those eyes. Those eyes that first saw him, that locked with him on the day that he fell before him and said, oh, depart from me, I am a wicked man. On that show, where he, he came and said, Master, Lord, depart from me. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, son of Jonah, you shall be called Peter from this day, the rock, and I will make you fisher of man. I think it has something to do with those eyes. Those eyes that called him the rock, Peter, and said, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Those same eyes at this point were gazing back at him. You know, Peter was a very ordinary guy. Peter was not this high, lofty guy. In fact, the name Peter, itself, uh, the name Simon itself, the name he, he, he was given at birth, is the most common of names. It's like being called who in our day? Uh, for sure not Madenge, but uh, maybe being called Joseph. How many Josephs are in this house? Uh, okay, don't raise your hands. Uh, I am Joseph. So <laughs> uh, again, I, I don't want to sound too common. But the name Simon, like, like think about the, even the people named in the Bible. Simon of Cyrene. Simon the leper. Eh? Simon the Pharisee. Simon the sorcerer even. <laughs> Simon, you know, Jesus had a half-brother called Simon. Even one of the disciples, another of the disciples of Jesus is called Simon. Simon the Zealot. So that this guy has to be called uh, Simon Peter and this Simon the Zealot to just make them apart. He was just an ordinary guy. There's nothing an, in, an ordinary about Simon. His occupation was a fisherman. Fisherman. Fisherman, fisherman is the lowest of, okay, maybe just second to shepherds. Like fishermen and shepherds are like the lowest of people, the lowest of occupations. And of skill, for skill and knowledge, you know what the Sanhedrin, the, the elite of Peter's day, when they saw him and, and the other disciples, what they concluded of him and said, these guys are unschooled, they are unlearned. In fact, they call him, when they saw that they were unschooled, illiterate, and ignorant, they resolved that they were with Jesus, that they had been with Christ. The commentary about Peter is that he's unschooled, illiterate, ignorant. Nothing to attract us to the man but Jesus calls him rock. Jesus says, you are Peter, Petros, the rock. And on this confession that you have made, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail. You are immovable, a rock, unbending, strong, bold, tough. You almost feel like this is irony, like, like Jesus, seriously. This guy is anything but. I know he talks tough, but really, not quite. And Jesus is so confident about this. When he goes to Gethsemane, the three people he calls close to him, as he goes to pray, a little farther, Peter is one of them. Even if he falls asleep, he still says, I want you with me in my time of greatest, my hour of greatest need. When he's crying blood and sweating blood. Peter. When he goes on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he is revealed with his glory, guess who is there? Peter. Such confidence in Peter. Do you at times feel like someone can be too confident about you, trusting you too much? I tell you, I like, hey, dude, I don't think we, we know each other that well. Uh, like, like, step on the brakes, brother. Like, I don't think I am that trustworthy. You should be a little more careful with me. But you guess what? Jesus... Jesus can never trust you too much. Jesus can never overtrust. He's too God to be mistaken about you. He's too God to be mistaken about Peter. When he says, you are the rock, he's not chochaing him. It's, it's not like a name to lift his spirits every time he feels bad. He says, you are the rock because he knows that that be true of Peter. Peter's words himself, he says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know all things. John, in chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible tells us that Jesus did not entrust himself to any man because he knew the hearts of men. He knew us. He's, he's, he's not bargaining with us out of ignorance. He cannot be mistaken about Peter or about us. So when he called Peter to himself, he knew exactly who Peter was. And when he called you to salvation, when he called you to salvation, he knew exactly who you are. He knew exactly the kind of depths of sin you can sink into, you are capable of doing. He knew the kind of things you already have done, and perhaps the ones that you are doing now. And he still has set his love upon you. So let me submit to you three things about Jesus here as I come to a close. First, Jesus knows you completely. He cannot be fooled by your external appearances or your sweet confessions or your acts of pious religiosity. He is not deceived by your charming words or emotional pretenses. That's not Jesus. Jesus knows you completely, 100%. Even with his 12 disciples, when he was choosing them, he knew exactly who they were, all of them, even Judas himself. The betrayer, scripture tells us that he was betrayed by one of his close, 
uh, companions. But guess what? Before he even called Judas, he knew exactly who Judas would be. His betrayer. Yet he trusted him. Yet he shared his bread with him. He knew Peter would deny him three times. If anything, he had already told him, you will deny me three times. Even on the day he called Peter to the ministry, when he set foot on that boat to preach in Simon Peter's boat, only to later tell him, follow me, he knew exactly who Peter was. Secondly, not only does he know us, but Jesus loves us all the same. He has known us. Then he loves us, despite the knowledge he has of us. That knowledge does not undermine his love for us. To those he has set his love upon, he loves to the end. That's what the book of John says. It says that when, when, because Jesus had known he has come from the Father and that he was going to go back to the Father, he took a towel, wrapped it around himself, and said that for those he had loved, he loved them to the end. So he started washing their feet. You see, even for Judas, the betrayer, at this point we all know very well on the washing of feet that Jesus knows Judas will betray him. He has already made a pact with Caiaphas. He washes Judas' feet. Even on the Garden of Gethsemane, as Judas is coming with his battalion of soldiers, he still offers him his cheek. Those eyes that gazed back at Peter on that day were loving eyes, not angry eyes, not I told you so eyes, not what have you done eyes, not I'm disappointed in you eyes. Loving, caring, fatherly, I am pleased to call you my disciple kind of eyes. Finally, Jesus knows us, he loves us, but he is also for us. Jesus is for us. He is dedicated to our good. Jesus desires your redemption. He's committed to your success. He's rooting for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 tells us, For those he had foreknown, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's you and I, guys. For those he knew, for those he had known and selected, he predestined that we may be conformed to the image of his son. He's, he, he doesn't have it here, we should worship land. He's not like crossing his fingers. I, I really hope this guy does not fail me. In his foreknowledge, he knows and he has a meticulous plan for your salvation and mine. He will not fail. He will not fail. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. 
Sorry, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never fade, spoil, or perish, kept in heaven for you. You, you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's how God sees us. That's the kind of provisions that God has made for us to stand in our salvation. So allow me to just join Paul in saying, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Like, who will dare Oh, who is able to succeed anyway if they are against us? And maybe you are here and probably even earlier held back from communion because you feel as a believer you are not a good one. You are a failing one. A denying one. A deserting believer Perhaps even your coming here was to seek absolution from your sin or from your guilt or failure, shame or condemnation. Maybe you have messed up big time. Like Peter, you have denied the Lord Jesus in your actions, in your speech, over and over and over again. Perhaps for you, you think it is wise to quit. You know, this whole salvation thing looks like it's not for me. Let me just go back to the world. You know, that's, that's what I know. Maybe there, you know, there I don't fail. Maybe it will just be easier for me. Remember, before he called you, he knew you. He foreknew you. And he knew everything you would do you would be, and he still chose you for salvation. He still chose to love you, and he says that he will conform you to the image of his son. And perhaps you're asking, why me? I think, why me? And the answer is, Christ was seeking his own glory. It is his glory he was seeking. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So you're asking, why did he choose this broken vessel that is you? To show that all this surpassing power is from him and not from you. In the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, he says, Not many of you are wise when you came to salvation. Not many of you are intelligent or influential or noble. 
or even strong. And this was so that Christ may be known to be the power and the wisdom of God. So Christ is, wants to be known as the power and the wisdom of God. So for those who think of themselves wise, think of themselves intelligent, he raises those who are seen as foolish and frustrates the wisdom of the wise. To those who think of themselves strong, he raises the weak to shame the strong. So yes, he chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised things, the things that are not, so that no one may boast. And all who boast, to boast only of the Lord. So he alone has become our strength, our power, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. That God, that God who is able to transform Simon, son of John, to become Peter, the guy who stands in Acts chapter 4 before the, the Sanhedrin. The same Sanhedrin that he was so afraid about a few weeks ago to deny Christ now stands before them. And when they tell, them, uh, they tell him, we don't want to hear of this message again, he says, judge for yourself whether it is right that we should preach the Lord because we will not relent talking about our Savior Christ. Oh yes, he was to become the rock, truly. Christ was not mistaken about him, and he's not mistaken about you, to call you his child, to call you a believer, to save you. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. This is Christ praying for us. And I tell you the truth, Simon, Simon, son of John, indeed, truly, his faith did not fail. And he stands now as the leader of the church of Christ. He, in Pentecost, will bring 3,000 to Christ. He will become the leader of the New Testament church going forward. And the faith of Peter, the immovable faith of Peter, will be seen. So do not be anxious for anything. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Bible says, do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. You will not fail because he who called you is faithful and he who called you will not fail. Thank you very much.